Thanks, uh, Helen, very much indeed. We're coming almost to the end of uh, I Relate series we got today and then next Sunday before we get into uh, a mini-series that'll take us uh, through Christmas. But if I told you what that was, I'd have to shoot you, so you'll have to wait to find out. So two weeks' time, we'll start a, a Christmas theme that'll take us through the Sunday uh, 16th and the Sunday immediately before Christmas, uh, Christmas family service in the morning, cows by candlelight in the evening, uh, Christmas Day service, and through to the final service of the year just before the new year dawns. Today, though, as we uh, continue in this series, I Relate, taking our cue from the relationship that lies in God himself, we're thinking of the theme of friendship. As our society has disintegrated in recent decades, friendships, amongst many other things, have been sabotaged. And the idea that we are to live in community is very quickly lost as relationships become strained. And in our Western culture that prizes the life of the individual, the relationship or the dynamic that we'll most often think about or we're most often encouraged to think about is that of romantic love or sexual love, as we reflected on last week and uh, on some other occasions due to some of the other themes of this whole series. So you don't get magazines and songs and icons of our culture talking about friendship but you get every icon almost and every magazine and almost all the songs talking about uh, sexual or romantic love. Maybe friendship gets lost because it's not a love that we perceive that we need. All other loves we need to kind of keep ourselves going. You need biological love, otherwise you wouldn't be born. And you need family love, otherwise there would have been no one to nurture you and help you grow, however disappointing or um, uh, dysfunctional that might have been. In your neighborhood, you are forced, in inverted commas, to a certain level of neighborliness, of friendship, in order to foster your own protection and your own security. There's nothing more painful or more agonizing than to live next door to the neighbors from hell, as the television has helpfully reminded us. And then also in our jobs, in the office, in the factory, in our career environment, we build relationships, or in inverted commas, friendships because we understand that they will foster our ability to get on and to function in that environment, even foster our ability to to be promoted and to stand one day on the shoulders of those at one time we called friends. Because of all of these relationships that are always vying for our attention, always grabbing us, we we know that we need them so we foster them as much as we can because they are a means to our own ends, friendship gets lost, sidelined, maybe left behind in the avalanche of busyness and stress in our lives. We say that we are good friends with someone, but maybe we're not sure when we last saw them and we're not quite sure what the plan is to see them in the future. So we have this concept in our minds of friendship. 
but often it gets sidelined because so many other relationships are vying for our attention. The Bible teaches us that we cannot do without friendship. We were made for friends, to have friends. We were made for friendship. And we don't need the Bible to remind us that, the crippling loneliness that we see all around us, the loneliness that exists in a crowd is a reminder that we crave friendship all of the time. Taking then our cue from God, the heart of the universe lies a God who is in relationship, in friendship, in intimacy with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a relationship that makes sense of all other relationships, gives our relationship purpose and meaning. You'll be able to say that as well as I can now after all of these months. But taking our cue from God himself, the Bible would say we are made for friendship, made in his image to relate to one another just as he relates to himself. And right at the beginning of the Bible, and we've gone back to some of these verses so many times over this series because they're pivotal to our understanding. And there's a a lovely phrase in uh, this verse that's easily lost in our English. You may remember that last week when we looked at Adam and Eve, uh, and we drew from the King James Version, Adam knew Eve, remember that? And how the Hebrew uh, is very nuanced, gives us a knowledge on all kinds of different levels, uh, gives us a context for sex so much deeper than simple physical intimacy and so on. Well, there's all kinds of nuances in this verse as well. The idea in Hebrew of walking with someone is to be in relationship with them, is to be a, a companion along the road, is to be a, a journeying together. So when God comes walking in the garden, What's the writer saying? The writer saying God comes in friendship, in relationship, to journey with you, to be your friend, to come alongside you. And of course it was a tragic moment because Adam and Eve had turned their back on God, sin had entered the garden, and Adam and Eve, instead of embracing this friendship from God, found themselves full of shame and hid from God as if you ever could. So there at the beginning of the Bible, this idea of our, of our need for, for friendship. And thinking, too, from uh, uh, the book of Proverbs, knowing how orientated towards the family Jewish culture was, and still very much is today, in that context, this verse is more remarkable still. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Elevating friendship way above what they might have expected to hear about it. I haven't got time to survey the whole Bible, you'd be pleased to know, but if we just race through the Bible and and find ourselves with Jesus and think for a moment of the Jesus story. What is the Jesus story? Is it a man from God who came, healed the sick, spoke words of kindness and compassion, taught words of deep truth, then died and rose again. Well, that is the story, but that's not all that the story is. The Bible tells a story of Jesus who came, who did heal the sick, who did speak words of truth, who did reach out to those around him. But the Bible tells a story of Jesus who came and gathered 12 people and then went about healing, teaching, 
proclaiming, in order to train these 12 people to go on and live the Jesus life. We call the 12 people disciples, and he spent three years discipling them so that they could go on and carry on the Jesus mission after his death and resurrection. The real story is the development of those 12 guys, is the time that Jesus invested in them as much as it is the preaching, the teaching, and the healing, and so on. What's all that got to do with friendship? Well, because Jesus says something very interesting about those disciples. He says, I call you friends. I call you friends. Friendship is the model for discipleship. In the New Testament. And it's a really important thing for us to grasp that feeds into the, the journey that we're on as a church, the things that we're thinking about. You cannot disciple someone that you are not at the same time befriending. Friendship is the model for discipleship. You can't disciple someone through programs. We've been recognizing that. You can't disciple someone through preaching. We've been recognizing that. Even if you've got a decent preacher, you can't do that. You can't disciple people through some other professional medium. Jesus says you disciple people by sharing living life on life with them. And so he spent three years building a friendship with these 12 guys. It's interesting here the word that Jesus used. There are two words in Greek for uh, friendship, philos and hetairos. Philos and hetairos. The word philos we're perhaps most familiar with. It means a, a beloved friend. It's an intimate relationship. It's a dear friend uh, reserved for those for whom you share a close alliance of heart. And then hetairos, this other word for friendship, It is more like a comrade or or a companion or a colleague. It can have slightly dark uh, connotations. It's It's a friendship that you have, but it's in order for you to gain something for yourself. So, So perhaps in business, we might network with people and we would be friendly towards them, but there is another agenda going on in the relationship. It's, it's self, uh, it's self-fueled as much as it is self-less. And this word hetairos has that kind of, uh, um, connotation about it. And you kind of would expect Jesus to use that word because the disciples were getting something from Jesus and Jesus was intending that he might give them something in return. But he doesn't. He uses this intimate word, philos. You are my friends, he says, to the twelve that he's gathered around him to pour his life into them. The model of discipleship is friendship. It's relationship. And that's why this whole idea of, of friendship is so important to us as Christians, so important to us as a church. If we're going to disciple people, the only way we can do that, if we're to follow the New Testament, is through building relationships of friendships through which discipleship and within the context of which discipleship can take place. We'll need to be serious about prioritizing genuine friendships. As I talk about a few qualities of friendship that come to us out of the Bible this morning, just two riders, maybe three, two for starters. The first is if you're married, then your spouse should be your number one friend. 
Remember when we looked at marriage and singleness some uh, weeks back about how a friendship needs to lead the way. You need to, don't, don't go with looks and stuff because they'll change pretty quick, as you know, looking around uh, this morning. So if that's what's holding you together, you're in trouble. Okay, you need to be friends. The number one friend. Big warning, if you are talking to people outside your marriage that you should be saying those things within your marriage, then that's a sign that your marriage is in a vulnerable place. Is your spouse your number one friend? Second thing is, you can't build genuine friendships with everybody. Uh, Jesus had 12 He had a smaller group of three. He had 72 that he kind of related to in a different sort of way. Uh, You can't build genuine friendships with everybody. And we need to recognize that, especially in a big church like this. What kind of model are we going for? To know lots of people a little bit or to know some people a lot so we have friendships that are strong enough for discipleship and so on. We need to be conscious of that. And friendships work best. It's it's interesting, isn't it? The best and worst. My dad always used to say to me, this is the third rider, my dad always used to say to me, don't hang around in a gang because he was always afraid that I'd get into trouble if I if I was to hang around with a in a gang because it it has a negative draw on our lives but there's also something about the way Jesus created friendships in the context of a group in the context of a community which created a safety and a support and a wholesomeness that that we're after in the kind of friends that we're building so so three things to be thinking about uh, as we go through this the this morning okay number 1 Friendships. Consistency. A friend loves at all times. The NIV study Bible, uh, and it's often quoted, uh, says you can't be a fair weather friend. And that's a good point. A friend when things are going well and then when, when it's difficult or hard, either because it's difficult or hard for you or because it's difficult or hard for your friend, somehow the friendship wanes. Don't be a true uh, a fair weather friend, a, a true friend loves at all times. But I want to suggest that maybe what's behind it is much more than just uh, don't ditch someone when they're being a pain in the what's it. Um, there's something more going on in terms of the way we understand how we might build friendships. It's suggesting something of, of availability, of an ongoing friendship, that when the sun is shining, your friends, when it's raining, your friends, when you're busy, your friends, when 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 this is happening, your friends, and so on. A friend at all times means for me, I think, two things. It means rhythm and routine. So we have friends in our lives that we would share our, our life with week by week. We'd eat together every week. We have some people that perhaps will eat together once a month. We'll have other friends that perhaps we'll thinking about people on, on different uh, uh, different groups. Jesus had the three, the twelve, and the seventy-two. There'll be other people that perhaps we'll see two or three times a year and spend a half day or a day together or, or, or spend a weekend together or, or whatever it might be. But but there needs to be a rhythm or a routine to that, otherwise it won't happen. Uh, and maybe that doesn't sound very friendly to need to diary in your friends. And sometimes we say that, don't we? That doesn't sound like they're very high priority if you have to diary them in. It's because they are high priority that you put them in the diary first. 
It's precisely because we have friends, as it were, that are in the diary that our friendship not only survives, but our friendship grows. Otherwise, I would become a friend when I have time. Who's got spare time? Uh, And we'll all be able to relate to people who we would class as good friends. But as Christmas approaches, maybe we haven't touched base since the last one. But there, my good friend. Uh, And so by uh, creating a routine or a rhythm with our friendships, we help to sustain a love at all times and not just when we can create space or opportunity, because that's almost impossible in our lives. There also needs to be, though, spontaneity. You can't really have one without the other, or it is a bit topsy-turvy and upside down. Uh, If your friend rings you, overwhelmed by what's going on in their lives, and you listen to them just for a moment, and you say, let me just stop you there. Do you remember that three weeks Thursday, we're having lunch and playing golf? Let's talk about that then. What kind of a friend would we be in those moments? A friend tumbles out, a friend responds, a friend comes alongside, a friend is there in the moment. Spontaneity, not just for difficult times, but for ordinary times of celebration and joy in our lives. Things that we can share one with another. There needs to be this uh, spontaneity and this rhythm and routine working alongside in our friendships. Think about your friends, those that are your good friends? How do you sustain that relationship? Where is it vulnerable to it being lost? And where does that friendship fit into the purpose of discipleship in Jesus Christ? Proverbs makes it clear that what we need is something that's unfailing, something that goes on, a kind of loyalty around our friendships. Uh, And this very famous verse that gets read at weddings in particular, and uh, we concentrate on the the protects and the trusts and the hopes and the perseveres, and maybe we should. But perhaps the most important word in that verse is always. Is always. So if keyword one is consistency, Keyword two is connectedness. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, two pretty difficult metaphors, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Sing songs, the implication in the language is songs of rejoicing. Someone who sings songs of rejoicing when somebody else, when a friend is sad. If you are happy when your friend is sad, you're not really a friend. If your friend is sad and you are happy, you are not really a friend. That's what this verse is saying. There's a disconnect between what's going on with you and your friend. If, if, if you're singing songs of joy, it's because those you know and love are full of joy also. And if they're not, then you yourself cannot sing the song of joy because you lament for your friend. Not sure whether to say this uh, uh, during a service with a dedication, but someone said of parents, you are only as happy as your unhappiest child. We had four. Perhaps we should have thought about that. 
Something deeply true about that, isn't there? You're only as happy as your un- unhappiest child. Why? Because there's, there's a connection that you can't get away from. Emotionally, you understand what's going on and you are connected to it. Friends have that connectedness. They're open to the reality of another, which in turn means that they themselves are open about their lives, their dreams, their disappointments, and so on. How transparent are you in your friendships? Because that's how connectedness gets connected. How vulnerable and real are you in your friendships? Because connections take place at that level. After last Sunday, some of you, husband and wife, will have talked to one another about things that maybe you've never talked about. That vulnerability will have created, once you're through the trauma and the issues associated with it, a deeper connection than you had previously. Why? Because truth and vulnerability and openness is what connects us to other human beings. He who chooses not to be connected, to keep himself to himself, does not prosper according to Proverbs. And this is, again, a reminder that our, our relationships are to be discipling relationships where we encourage and goad and spur one another on to, to, to lay aside all those sins that would entangle us and everything else that would weigh us down to run the race. So we're honest about our struggle with sin and we're honest about our fears and we're honest about the fact that I've read the Bible this week and it hasn't mean, meant diddly squat to me or in fact I haven't opened my Bible at all this week and I'm at the end of my rope as a parent and I want to strangle my child today and so on and so forth. When we're open and honest as a connectedness through that vulnerability. But we need confidence to do that. We need to trust one another. Proverbs has some very strong words around confidence and stirring up dissension. A perverse man stirs up dissension and a gossip separates close friends. In any group, in any community, there is always the temptation for dissension, to say something that's of the stirring nature, not to the person it actually concerns, but to someone else to draw them in. And every group suffers with that. Sadly, the Church of Jesus Christ suffers with that. The Bible's very clear. Jesus is very clear. You've got an issue. Go to the person with whom it concerns and talk to them about it. Dissension is when you do not go to that person, but instead you fuel your own emotion, your frustration, your anger, whatever it is, by talking to someone else other than the person it directly involves. And Proverbs is very harsh about that kind of attitude and that action. We need to build confidence in our friendships so that we can have clarity in our friendships. A friend is someone that you can process with. Someone who helps you understand yourself a little bit more. We all need that. Introverts and extroverts alike. We all need someone to talk to. Extroverts talk to other people. Introverts talk to the person in their head. But we all need someone to talk to. Uh, And we all need real people to talk to that can help us process what's going on in our lives. goes without saying that we need compassion 
and uh, the Bible celebrates the love of Jonathan and David. It's got two more to go. A bit more time on this one, though, because it's uh, more of a challenge, no pun intended, perhaps, than some of the others. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Friendship is saying something to your friend that you know will hurt them, that it in turn will hurt you to say, but you love them enough to push through and to say it anyway. When you know you probably shouldn't be saying something, is when you have something to say that you know will hurt that person, but instead of it hurting you to say it, there's a little bit of pleasure in saying it. When someone says, I've got the truth to tell you in love, that's probably what's going on. Brace yourself at that moment. If they need to tell you that's what they're doing, you're probably in for a kicking. But there is a difference to that, to genuinely coming alongside someone with a challenge, loving them enough to push through their pain and your pain to bring you both to a better outcome. Jesus on times was very challenging to his friends. No question about it. He was disarmingly challenging. Things he said to his friends make good Christians squeal and squirmish. We, we would be horrified to hear it. But somehow Jesus had built up a level of trust, a level of friendship, a level of connection with those disciples that he could say the hardest things that needed to be said and the relationship was strong enough to take them through it. Even that he could say to Peter, get behind me, Satan, and somehow Peter didn't run for the hills, but he stayed there with Jesus and carried on the journey. Really important in our friendships that we learn to challenge. It's part of what discipleship is all about. You need to challenge me to be more like Jesus. I need to challenge you to be more like Jesus. We can't do this by ourselves. That's why he's given us each other. That's why he gathered 12. That's why he calls us to gather people in in friendships or extended families, a different metaphor, but the same thing. Jesus created the 12 and he, he invited them around the Lord's table, which effectively, uh, the first Passover, sorry, the first Lord's Supper, which was the Passover, effectively as he gathered them around the Passover. He's saying, you are my extended family. You are the people that I belong to and you belong to me. We need those friendships in which we can challenge and goad one another to become more like Jesus. What's the biggest issue, the biggest question in your life apart from Jesus? It might be who you're going to marry. Song of Songs talks a lot about sexual love as we uh, referenced last week. And one of the things that Song of Songs says, as you're beginning to build a relationship with someone that may end up in marriage, you've got to ask the question, what do your friends think? It's a biblical thing to do to find out what your friends think when you're looking to see whom you should marry. And friends should be more objective and more discerning. Bad friends mutter amongst themselves and say, I don't think she should be marrying him. Or I don't think he should be marrying her, but they never say diddly squat until the marriage is in trouble. And then they say, I knew it wouldn't last. That's ugly. That's unkind. 
That's not the friendship that Jesus calls us to. So in Song of Songs, a couple are looking to marry, and what do their friends think? Do their friends say that this is a good relationship, that this is okay? And we need to, to, to remind ourselves that we need friends to do that for us and remind ourselves also of our natural tendency, our humanness, always to align ourselves with people that say what we want to hear. We've done that since we were in school. Someone says you're rubbish at football. Your best friend says you're rubbish at football. But the person you don't like very much that afternoon says you're good at football. You spend the afternoon playing with who? Your best friend? No, not at all. You spend your time with the guy that says you're really good at football, even if you're rubbish. Because we align ourselves with people who say what we want to hear. We need to grow up in our friendships, become mature in our friendships to be open, to be challenged and to challenge in return. That's what this final bit is about. Oh, in that, in the previous uh, uh, verse. Uh, about a, an enemy multiplying kisses. When, when our friends behave like enemies, they say, they act in one way, but something else is going on underneath, then we end up being no better than Judas, who betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And actually, when Judas walked into the garden and Jesus says, my friend, he didn't use philos, hetairos, you're a friend, but you come with another agenda. Flattery is part of this whole story, isn't it? How do we tell people the truth in a way that builds up? And not crushes. I have to say models for that are few and far between in our lives. We've grown up often with not great models of people being able to tell us the truth in a way that builds up rather than knocks down. But we need to aspire to that kind of relationship. Just one last uh, verse from Proverbs about uh, uh, Iron sharpening iron, we use the, the phrase in, in, in ordinary life, in ordinary speak. But the trouble with it is that it, we get comfortable with the idea, but iron sharpens iron creates friction and tension and pain. If we're to be serious about re, being real friends, it will on times create tension and friction and pain. And we can step away from the challenge. And we can say to ourselves, I love that person so much, I'm not going to say anything to them. And maybe what we're saying is, I love myself so much, I'm not going to go through the pain of walking through that with them. Iron sharpens iron. So we need compassion, we need connectedness, we need all of that. And alongside, we need challenge. And that's what Jesus did. He gathered this group of people into a relationship that was so deep and meaningful. We're going to stick together, and I'm going to be with you to the end of the age, and I'm going to never leave you or forsake you. Great levels of care, compassion, and connectedness, but also great moments of challenge too. And as those two things work hand in hand in our relationships, we'll call one another to follow Jesus with greater purpose and greater intentionality. Seems to me that two things happen when we talk about friendships. Number one is a longing. We think, oh, I wish I had some friends like that. 
I wish I had some friends that I knew loved me, whatever. I wish I had some people that I, I knew would lay down their lives for me. I wish I had some friends who love me enough to tell me the truth, even when they know the truth will be hard for me to hear. It creates in us a, a longing. We're desperate in our society for friendship. And also perhaps it creates a little bit of crushing in us as well, because we recognize that we haven't always been the kind of friend that we ought to have been. And maybe those two things go hand in hand. If I want some friends that are the friends that I want them to be, then I need to become a friend like that. And how do you do that? Where's the resource? Where's the power? Where's the, uh, where's the impetus? How, how do we develop that kind of relationship? Well, seventhly and finally, it's all to do with Jesus. Remember God walking in the garden? Remember Jesus on a cross? I lay down my life for my friends. The God in heaven says, I want to be a friend to you like that. And as we grow in friendship with him, as we are comforted, our ability to comfort others increases. As we are connected to God, our ability to be vulnerable and connect to others increases. As we are challenged by God, our ability to lovingly challenge others increases. God is the ultimate friend. And if we try and use our human friendships just like our marriages, to bring to our lives what only God himself can bring, we will always end up in trouble. We will always put way too much weight on a human relationship. It's as I relate to him, I relate. As I relate to him, so I'm able to understand and relate to one another and relate to myself. Our ultimate friendship is with him. And without that friendship, nothing else makes sense. Let's pray.